Therapist Connect podcast is sponsored by ISOS Connect. Modernize your private practice without tech overwhelm. Create and store client records and notes. Schedule video sessions with automated confirmations and reminders. Send invoices and more. All in one secure, affordable and easy to use place. Visit www.isosconnect.com and use code TC30 for one month free on any paid plan. Welcome to the Therapist Connect podcast, a podcast for therapists by therapists. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Therapist Connect podcast. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Fraser Smith. Fraser is a HCPC registered counselling psychologist and he works in a variety of different settings. He's spoken at various events such as the 2019 TEDx in Glasgow. He's a recognised speaker in psychology and mental health. Fraser was an early supporter of Therapist Connect, asking me to write a blog for his GetSight website. You can find GetSight on all the usual social media platforms and a large amount of videos on YouTube. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. If you'd like to support the Therapist Connect podcast, then please find us on any of the podcast apps and leave us a review. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Morning, Fraser. How are you? It's nice to finally meet you face to face. I know. It's strange, isn't it? We know like, kind of like people on Twitter and stuff and have yeah. interactions with them and then I never actually spoke to them. <laughs> Such is the world today. Strange world we live in. Yeah. How are you? Are you, are you good? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, things are things are going well. Very busy. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a therapist in the first place? Like, what drew you to the profession? Absolutely. Um, there's a number of things that kind of drew me in. My, um, I always kind of gravitate to the relationship with my mother first. So she has a her first degree was in psychology, and um, she was a, a deputy head a high school teacher for the large part of her life, and. Um, there was there was just like the connect the connection that my mother and I had where it's a very close relationship. I think there's a lot of psychological therapeutic understanding on her part that kind of probably did its work in me ingrained in me at a young age. Um, but what really kind of uh, sparked my interest and got me into the therapeutic world was really my own mental health difficulty. So I am um, very long story short, but I was in America for a year. I was playing basketball out there, and I came back and was in university. I was actually doing a history and politics degree at that time and just went through a very difficult stage of depression and anxiety. And um, there was a lot of things happening in my life at that time that were extremely difficult. I think at that age in particular, I was about 19, 20. Um, the world was changing around me and I didn't really have the legs to keep up and went and saw a therapist. And it really turned things around for me. And um, one of one of the main ways in which it turned things around for me was career-wise, actually, because I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. It was always something that I had tried to put off and not really think much about. And then when I had that experience with that therapist, I was like, this is a job that I would love. And uh, it was opportunity came to another one. And actually, I managed to get a job working night shifts at a reception desk at a couples therapy center in Glasgow. And then got on to a Costco training skills course up here in Scotland, which is like an introductory course to, to therapy. And that really kind of started the, the train ride from there and um, worked my way up through that organization and then um, took on counseling psychology um, over the next few years. So, yeah, that's really kind of how it all started for me. The different motivations there, so like very personal kind of um, relationship with your with your mom and then 
and then kind of your own personal experiences as well kind of both fed into that that choice you did go down the line of training to be um, a therapist. Can you tell us a little bit about your career so far, kind of what, what that's looked like? My career has been kind of um, somewhat eclectic. It's, it's kind of gone in different branches of, of, of therapeutic training and then also um, psychological experience. So um, I started, as I kind of said to you, I was working my way up that, that couples counselling organisation. They actually had a youth working department where they went into schools and, and, and did a lot of kind of um, training and, and, and support in different ways. And I, and I did a lot of that work and then went on to do my psychology undergraduate degree. And as I, and as I went through that, I continued working as a youth worker. And then when I finished, I actually got a job as an assistant psychologist in a brain injury unit. And that was my first experience directly in the kind of psychological domain. It was with clinical psychologists. We were working with clients with brain injuries really my first time having any kind of exposure to client work and I then decided I want to go into counseling psychology so I started that doctorate I was fortunate enough to get into the doctorate started it worked as a research assistant in health psychology and worked as a tutor for a little bit as well and then I I did, did a number of different jobs within I worked at some helplines and things like that in in in, in my therapy and I was also fortunate enough to get a placement at an organization nearby that then later hired me and this was a private uh, therapy um, practice. I worked there for about a, maybe about a year after and then realized, you know, one of the things I really value about working as a therapist, working as a psychologist is the kind of autonomy over my work, the creativity of my work, the ownership of my work. And so I started my own private practice called Psychology Scotland. And I started that in 2021 and um, kind of the summer of 2021 with the vision of just for the first year, kind of um, working by myself, I managed to get an office space, had the website designed, that kind of thing. But I had a kind of a future vision of wanting to bring more staff members on board, opening up more therapy spaces. And then within a couple of months, a few opportunities came by where the building management I was working with had more spaces open up. I had some people reach out to me that wanted to work with me. So I just jumped for it and went and went with it. And first few months were very difficult. Um but since then, we've really brought on a, a larger team and, and we have a, a lot of ownership over the way we do our work. And the psychologists that work with us all work independently and autonomous, autonomously and they work one-to-one therapy. And we do a lot of kind of corporate contracts as well. So my, my career has kind of taken a number of different trajectories through different uh, domains in psychology, but private practice is kind of where I reside now. Can you tell us a little bit about you, specifically your kind of therapeutic approach and how, and how you work? Has that developed and changed over the years? It has, um, I, you know, I think it's part of being a psychologist, being a therapist in reality um, of, of, of any kind, the kind of ever-changing sense of how I approach is, is, is often shifted. And I think, you know, I, I immediately gravitated to my doctorate when I was studying and everything. I was very keen to kind of ingrain theory. I was very keen to um, utilize kind of structured therapeutic modalities. I'm a big believer in acceptance and commitment therapy. I use a lot of that. I use a lot of DBT. Um, but I'm a huge believer and and, and utilizer of, of person-centered therapeutic principles. And I was very keen in my studies during my placement to, to work very structured in those ways. And I think as things have progressed, I work much more um, fluid, kind of fluid, much, much more subjectively with my clients. And I still utilize a lot of those therapeutic approaches. But I think as time has gone on, I've I've trusted more in the person-centered therapeutic model and and those principles and 
think when I was studying, I felt like I kind of had to do more. And absolutely, there's times where that's required to a degree. But really trusting in, in, in those principles and really trusting in the process and very much trusting in my own abilities to hold space. And I think that was something that have, I've really lent into, particularly in the past year, actually. Um, and, and also thinking a lot of like, I, 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 use, I probably utilize a little bit more cognitive behavioral therapy now in some ways, but, but always coming from a base of a person-centered therapy. I, I, my, my stance is kind of more similar to the integration where the cognitive behavioral approaches I use, the acceptance and commitment therapeutic principles I use, I'm always mindful of my person-centered training. And yeah, I think as, as time has progressed, I've valued that more than ever, really. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. It means, um, joy to my heart as a person as a person-centered therapist I love it. to hear you say that um but I was wondering did you was that your person-centered training part of um um your your doctorate or or yeah. or was that did you do that in another time no that was um that was a big part of the doctorate so <clears throat> to kind of give you a little bit more context like we we have our first stage so to speak of um of training in the doctorate is, uh, is person-centered. Now, I did my first stage over uh, part-time, so it took me two years to complete it. So I really did two years of person-centered training and um, very much lent into those principles and really engaged in those principles. And I think when I first entered the doctor, I thought it was interesting. Like, I kind of, I had done therapeutic training before. I'd done the Costco um, skills course. I had done transactional analysis training for a year as well. And I kind of thought of person-centered as a bit of bread and butter, a bit of kind of, uh, you know, as you would conduct therapy and it was so much more than that to me as I, as I engaged in the training and I just whenever I feel kind of maybe stuck or, or, or challenged in, in in therapy with my clients I always return back to those therapeutic principles and it always helps and um, so yeah that was a huge part of my training the later stages were more cognitive behavioral based and then after that was more about engaging in your own stance but um, yeah person-centered has always been at the core of my training and, and my beliefs about good therapy Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've talked about you've got your own, I suppose, therapy community building up within within your practice, but um, how connected do you feel to kind of the wider uh, therapy community, maybe in Scotland or even even broader, potentially? Yeah, um, it, that that feels quite, um, not up and down, but can maybe hot or cold at times. It's, it's again, I, I, I think often about working privately and working privately is a very lonely experience sometimes and it's quite isolating. And I've had to be better at staying connected. Um, when I did, when I was doing my doctorate, I, I created a platform called Get Sight, and it was like a kind of online platform, social media platform, YouTube channel of a lot of content around mental health and psychology training, and that really helped me connect with other people because people saw that content. I spoke at conferences, um, I did podcasts, I did interviews, and and you know that was a really great way to stay connected. When Psychology Scotland started, I didn't, I, I kind of stopped, I've, I've stopped getting side. And so I've kind of felt a little bit more detached from the community at times. However, I've been mindful to connect with the British Psychological Society a little bit more. I've been doing a little bit of work with them. Building my own therapeutic community here, you're right to say that. One of the biggest reasons for doing that was to create a kind of a network, was to create a sense of connectivity as well. And I was very keen for our team not to just kind of go into the therapeutic rooms and shut the door, so to speak but to stay connected with the team around us and you know that's difficult because we have team members who maybe work two or three days a week here and they're not full-time so you know we, we it's important for us to try and stay connected as much as possible but that has been difficult for me in many ways I think COVID's got a lot to do with that and um, 
you know, I'm sure you'll have felt the same way, Peter. You know, it's it, it's felt a little isolating at times, and I think social media can be really useful there. But it's I think working privately is something that I've needed to, and I would advise other people in the future to to have more intent in being connected with other therapists and then um, looking at kind of governing bodies that they can connect with or therapeutic networks in their area. And that's something that I'm continuing to try and push for you. I think that's really interesting. I mean, Get Psyched was the um, first bit of media content that Therapist Connect had because we did a blog post for... Did, uh, yeah. for I was for... very quick to jump on that when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Get Psyched. But I'm just interested to hear about your journey in terms of that connection because, um, you know, Get Psyched is a really big thing. It's got loads of views. It's, you know, you, you as you say, you did lots and lots of things with it. But it's interesting that um, maybe how things have shifted for you as you've gone into private practice and maybe not had as many opportunities to kind of connect in that broader way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, do you know, it's a, it's a shame because Get Psyched has, for me, it, it, it grew into a great platform and mm. that was really exciting, but it asked so much of me. And you know, when I had a family and then when I needed to make a real income, there was all those kind of variables that came into the fold that, that meant that maybe the get site work had to take a back seat. And, you know, I was putting out videos every week. I was doing social media content most days and it was all me doing it whilst I was doing the doctorate. So it was very, very taxing, but I do miss it. And I think I probably took it for granted a little bit because it was a very easy way for me to stay connected with people. You know, I would get emails and I would get messages most weeks. People who had value from the content or people who had additional questions or people who wanted me to do X, Y, Z. And, and that was great. And not to say that that stuff doesn't happen still, but it happens much less. And I think there's, a, again, that, that, that requires a, a response from me, which I'm, I'm, I'm starting to ingrain with. And again, the building of the team here at Psychology, at Psychology Scotland has been a part of that, is building a network of my own. And um, and making sure I'm staying connected with the wider community because yeah, it gets like you say, gets like kind of did the job for me a little bit. It was like a platform that was there and people could access it whenever and then they, they, they could reach out to me. So staying connected with people became quite easy actually as as gets out grew. It's a little harder now, but um yeah, something to, to approach with more more intent on my part as well. Yeah. And people could start access all that content, even though there's maybe not new content going on there. It's all it's all there for people to access already, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And then, um, you know, we changed, like, for example, the Instagram, and um, I shifted that from get site to my own personal one. So I kind of, I, I do that, but the YouTube channel and the website are still there. There's a little bit of potential that things might kick in again with Psychology Scotland. There's a chance I might look at rebranding some of the get site stuff with Psychology Scotland and start doing some more video content again. Um, but that's kind of in the pipeline a little bit, but the, all the content is still, is still there. It's very accessible. Yeah. Can you tell us what, what do you think is the biggest challenge that the counselling and psychotherapy professions face right now, in your opinion? For me, I, I think it's societal shifts. And there's a lot, people don't need, need me to tell them this, there's a lot that's going on in the world right now that affects people's mental well-being. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a greater challenge for therapists to be able to hold space in, in a climate that's unchanging at times. And I think, and I'm speaking only for myself, that can be quite a scary potentiality for, for a therapist because I think when I, again, when I was trained and when I, when I think about my work, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the potential of people and people's ability to overcome circumstances and make um, and to heal and to make situations better in their lives. And I, and I often work from that ethos. 
but that's very difficult when there there is war breaking out and when we have global pandemics and we have awful um you know um cost of living crisis and, and energy bills and things like all just to, to name a few of, of societal situations that impact the well-being of the individual and for me that's been a huge challenge because it creates a number of difficulties you know and, in the, and individuals often see that as well it affects everybody therefore why should i complain but actually every individual has their own traumatic experience of things like coronavirus of things like you know the, the idea of war breaking out across europe you know the, these kind of things that are really and, and many others as well that impact individuals so for me i think there is something very important and very challenging about how we sit with and address massive societal challenges on a one-to-one -one basis with our clients and again we are trained in being able to do that but it's very difficult when those situations are unchanging in that room and how, how do we deal with that how do we live with that and how do we hold that space so and and those societal changes are, are not going anywhere they're going to remain and um you know how, how do we deal with that for me i think that's one of the biggest challenges that we as therapists face in my eyes and and i i think that's for me, I think coming more to the forefront, I think um, in recent times, that idea of kind of maybe social justice issues, yeah. um, whereas in the past, maybe there's some therapists who maybe have kept silent on those particular issues. Um, now it's becoming much more open that people, therapists are engaged with some of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. But that's something that we, we need to lean into again. And and and, and that's been the case for, for, for decades, of course, there's always been societal challenges and social justice has always been an issue that we've needed to address. But it feels very present today and uh, yeah I think that's just something that we're going to continue to have to adapt to my doctoral research actually was in men's mental health and um, the nuances of that research were in older men's mental health their kind of understanding of mental health and the barriers to accessing therapy it's a demographic that are um, widely underrepresented in the therapeutic community and in research and it was a really interesting piece of research for me and that kind of went on to do a number of talks um, on men's mental health. I did a TEDx talk in Glasgow in 2019 and 2018. I actually traveled out to East Asia to speak on men's mental health in the Philippines. So I had a lot of great opportunities there. And did, I've, I've done quite a bit of work in, in men's mental health. I did quite a bit of um, video content on Get Psyched on it. And as a result, I see quite a lot of men in therapy. I actually did a, a workshop last week, last week for an organization in Edinburgh on men's mental health because it was International Men's Week. Um, or International Men's Health Day, I think. Um, so it's, a, it's an area that I still I still speak a lot on. And it's one that's, I, that I feel a great passion for, you know, understanding, I think it kind of ties into my own upbringing as well. As I said, my, mo my mother was a single parent. I had quite a distant relationship with my father at first and as an only child. I think my exploration of men's mental health has been a lot about understanding myself and also understanding my father. And that's really kind of where that stemmed from. But then it kind of it delved into an area of real interest. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a constant area of challenge. You know, suicide rates, lack of therapeutic uptake is a continual issue, and um, COVID has also had a big impact there as well. And so, yeah, it just feels more more pressing than ever to to really be a be a champion of men's mental health as much as I can, and I try and continue to do that. So, yeah, it's a it's a real area of passion for me. No, I think that's really important. And I still feel that even today, it doesn't get spoken about enough. No, um, and, you know, the amount of um, male therapists is kind of, you know, low in compared yeah. to female therapists, yeah. you know, so 
um it's a it's a continuing issue so i think it's important that we yeah we, we mentioned that so absolutely yeah it's a continual area of a real need for talking more about it and also more work that's needed done in it yeah um, Fraser, that's all my questions. I suppose that my, my last one would be kind of what are you up to next? Yeah, well, um, more Psychology Scotland stuff. It feels like a never-ending yeah. dream. Um, so, yeah, no, what's happening next for us is is continuing to look at some growth. Um, we're opening up more therapy rooms. We're bringing on more psychologists and therapists. We're very keen to, to explore the idea of being a placement provider as well and giving students opportunities here. So, you know, that's something that we're we're very keen to explore. We have a number of different ideas as well as to how we might develop our practice and, and bring more opportunities to our therapists, but more quality therapy to, to clients um, and, a, and a greater exploration of some of our organizational contacts. You know, I'm very keen to explore that further um, where we're, we're kind of working with organizations post-COVID in particular to bring um, mental health and therapeutic support to to employees so they can get through directly through their organization and that's working really well so yeah a number of different things on the horizon that uh, we're going to push towards brilliant that sounds very exciting i look forward to uh, seeing more for you in the future fraser thank you so much it's been great chatting to you on the podcast thank you for supporting therapist connect thanks for having me peter thank you so much Therapist Connect podcast is sponsored by ISOS Connect. Modernize your private practice without tech overwhelm. Create and store client records and notes. Schedule video sessions with automated confirmations and reminders. Send invoices and more. All in one secure, affordable and easy to use place. Visit www.isosconnect.com and use code TC30 for one month free on any paid plan. Thank you for listening to the Therapist Connect podcast. Go to www.therapist-connect.com for more discussions and debates.